Hello and welcome to uh, the Rugby Base second episode of the reboot. Um, this week I'm going to be talking about the three games that I got to actually watch last week, and that was New Zealand versus France, Australia versus Ireland, South Africa versus England, and then I'll do a quick preview of the games happening tomorrow. Um, the thing about the New Zealand game is it just it told us told us everything that we already knew it. France were valiant to be leading at half time, but there's just no team in world rugby at the moment, and I can't see it changing anytime soon. That can just turn it on in the second half. And I'll get into more in depth about this. I mean, I don't want to. There was definitely some controversy in this game, but New Zealand were far and away the superior side in this game. Uh, France did well in that first half to be leading at half time, but. It's really, it's a difficult time for world rugby, I think, because New Zealand are just so, so good. And I I look at that game and I think to myself as a, as a South African fan, I look at that, you know, as a person who's going to be watching the rugby championship. And I just think, you know, Australia and South Africa are nowhere near these guys. I mean, I saw two very good performances by South Africa and Australia that show that there are signs of potential going into next World Cup, but I just don't see them being anywhere near New Zealand, and they just don't seem there doesn't seem to be a backward step from New Zealand, and that's what's really that's what's truly frightening about this. Everyone else is scrapping; we're all scrapping at the moment just to be almost half of New Zealand. New Zealand just don't seem to backslide; they always know how to turn it on the second half. No one does it in world football like they do. And what are we all supposed to do? We can we can get better, but we need to, we need New Zealand to slip as well. As of this weekend, it doesn't look like they are going to be slipping anytime soon. So I did mention earlier that there was a bit of controversy in this game, and it needs to be pointed out. And I'm going to preface this by saying I in no means believe that this had any influence on the result. I don't think that New Zealand were going to walk away from this game with anything other than a resounding victory. But in saying that, we have to acknowledge that the decision-making of referee Luke Pearce was just absolutely atrocious. There was no consistency. Uh, the yellow card he gave, for instance, he has the op- he ha- is has the option to use technology to check his decision-making. And if he had used the technology, he would have noted that Crotty's neck was not touched in that tackle. So he didn't hit him in the head. He didn't didn't hit him in the neck. It may have been a little bit high, like he came over the shoulder. That's fine if you want to give a penalty because you want to get rid of any hit above that region. I understand that. But no part of his of Crotty's body was put into no sensitive part of Crotty's body was put into danger. There, his head was not in danger. His neck was not in danger. The referee would have known this if he had used technology available to him. Now that was when the game sort of turned on its head. Once again, not saying that New Zealand didn't weren't going to go ahead and do what they did anyway, but we can't we can't just accept poor refereeing even if the result was inevitable. Regardless. The other thing is, is that Adi Sevilla's try should not have been given. Not at all. He was tackled. He was held to the ground. And once again, this is just, it was at the end of the game. The points were already on the board. This was just, you know, the icing on the cake. But it should never, he should never have been given that, um, that try. We'll come back to another thing about yellow cards. 
there should have been a yellow card to an all black. And it brings me to the next point, Pat, after that, in that no, there was no sanction, no sanction this week uh, from World Rugby on the, the, the headshot that the French player took. So not only was he not yellow card, there was no consistency in doling out discipline in the game by the match officials. There was nothing uh, that was given to this, given to the player. There was no sanction after the game either. And it's just... I don't like the idea of suggesting that New Zealand win games only because of referees, but when you watch stuff like this, you can only question. There is a little bit of favoritism there. They don't get the same amount of yellow cards that every other team in, in international rugby gets, and there was a perfect example. I mean, consistency needs needs to be brought brought up with these referees. And I'm not saying that Luke, it was his first international test that he was actually refing so i'd be like I'm, I'm not saying oh you know ban him for life no that's only reserved for roman pointer he should be gone but you know if he's going to learn and become a better referee there needs to be some sort of disciplinary process where these guys are being taught no consistency you know don't don't give into the hype of the crowd i understand these guys have to go through some sort of training to get to international rugby but the process is not complete once you get there it's still learning they need to do better and the new zealand game was the perfect example of once again match officials just not being up to scratch i'm not taking anything away from the way that the all blacks performed they were going to do what they did to france anyway they may have got a try or two out of it that they didn't deserve but that new zealand team was always going to run over them like a steam train observation from the game in terms of just i say oh you could improve the all blacks i think that the all blacks should start damian mckenzie from fullback every single time he's there's just something about him and the way he runs he's got an elusivity that makes gaps between the centers that i've never seen before in world rugby he's small and he's fast and they're just he the way he turns at speed he just creates a gap where I don't think any other player in world rugby could fit through. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to be playing more stout defenses and the, if, if Australia's performance against Ireland is anything to go by, Australia were fantastic tactically and defensively against Ireland. Damian McKenzie, he just creates space out of nothing. Um, it's not even a criticism of Steve Hansen to not start McKenzie. I mean, you're really, <laughs> you're choosing one great player of another really one just gives you something different fantastic player though fantastic and i'm actually scared as a south african fan to be uh to be going up against him in the rugby championship later this later this year it's going to be it's going to be scary there's not really much to say about the um the preview of the upcoming game um this will be t- go this thing just snap a 12 match losing streak against the all blacks it's not going to happen even with all 15 men on the field for the entire 80 minutes, France are going to lose this game. I don't think they're going to get smashed as badly as they did last time. I do believe that some of the points that New Zealand scored were because of the sin bin that shouldn't have happened to France. But let's be honest here. New Zealand are the cream of the crop. They're going to go out there. They're going to blow this away. France probably a bit dejected as well after being... a after being torn apart like that. So I'm going to say that New Zealand will beat them by 25 points. Easy. All right, moving along. Now, to me, this was, if you like your tactical rugby and you enjoy watching arm wrestles, I thought the Australia-Ireland game was actually quite entertaining. 
some people, the neutrals, would probably be like, no, nah, I don't really see... They, I wanted to see more exciting rugby. But first of all, I need to apologize to the Wallabies for um, suggesting that they didn't know their game. I don't know if it was a flash in the pan, but Checker put out a side this weekend that was pragmatic and smart. And that was something that has been lacking in Australian rugby for years now. I'm not saying they've never been a smart rugby team. They've always tried to play a certain rugby game that they might have not always had the pieces to play or the pieces that they require against certain teams. But this was a very different Australia. This was pragmatic. This was about combating Ireland's strengths and then feasting on mistakes. I didn't see the Wallabies try to dominate this game. I didn't see them try to blow Ireland open. What I saw was just smart it was very smart and you know what unless you're new zealand you're not going to blow away every opponent that you play a lot of the time you've got to be tactical and you've got to be smart and i do think that ireland is smart as well i think this weekend is going to be another another arm wrestle to be honest but the way the wallabies played that game was smart they didn't they didn't actually try and go out of their out of their uh comfort zone either and a lot of people would probably be unhappy with that. But if you were in a World Cup semi-final, you would want Australia to play that game that they played against Ireland to a T because they didn't make any mistakes and they forced Ireland to make a lot of mistakes. And above all, they, Australia defended really, really well. It's hard to underestimate the performance of David Pocock here as well because Ireland had a majority of possession in this game. And I feel like that was deliberate. I feel like Australia wanted Ireland to beat themselves. And I think Pocock is the key to this, how this entire, how that whole pragmatic system worked and ended up being Ireland's undoing because he was stealing the ball on the ground. But the one thing that was very, very obvious is that he is an absolute menace at slowing the ball down. Now you can whinge and complain. I certainly did during the 2011 World Cup, whether it's always legal, it doesn't matter he gets down to that breakdown and he's an absolute nightmare. You cannot remove him from the ball. So if he's going to steal the ball, he's going to steal it. At the very least, he's going to slow it down. And this makes it really difficult. If you know, if you compare it to, say, the South Africa-England game where Faf de Klerk got complete and utter fast, quick ball because England couldn't stop South Africa's forwards, Ireland got no fast ball at all on the weekend. Absolutely none. And it was 90% of it. Pocock, he... He has, he's a one-trick pony. I don't think he's a great anything else in rugby. He's a good tackler. He's a decent forward, but he's not big. He doesn't make massive line breaks. What he does do, he's the best of the world. He's the best in the world at doing, and that is stealing ball on the ground, slowing ball on the ground, and it's an integral part of winning a rugby game. And so going forward, this goes into my next point. I don't think that the pooper combination actually works. And I think that Checker is going to be hamstringing himself going into rugby championship if he thinks that he can continue to play Pocock and Hooper together. It's a complicated situation, though, because Hooper is his captain. And I think that he needs to rip that Band-Aid off as soon as possible because I'm not saying that Michael Hooper is a bad player. I think he's a good player. I think he's a decent captain. I'm not, I don't have many negative things to say about him. But the superior player is Pocock. Pocock influences results. Pocock is the. If you have a game changer in your team, it's Israel Folau 
on the attack, and it's David Pocock on the defense. He is again. No one in world rugby has someone like him. He changes the entire dynamic of a game. And so going forward, the problem for Australia though is that neither Pocock or Hooper are physically dominating players. So when you look at who they're going to line up against when you play, say, South Africa, South Africa is lining up Peter Steff de Toit at flank this weekend alongside Sia Khaleesi and Juan Vermaelen. Now, Sia Khaleesi is probably not a physical monster, but Juan Vermaelen and Peter Steff de Toit are. And so if you continue to go forward with the pooper combination, you're going to leave yourself at a physical disadvantage, especially against teams who will... Put it this way, when New Zealand love to dominate every facet of the game, but the other two teams that you're competing against, South Africa and Argentina, specifically, their entire game plan requires physical domination. They play their best rugby when they are completely in the dominant position physically. And so I think that going forward, you're more likely to come across these teams come the end, you know, the end, look, look what the last semi-final rounds were in the last World Cup. It was the four rugby championship teams. I'm not saying a Northern Hemisphere team is not going to get there, but you're going to have physically dominant teams get further in high pressure situations because you go back to more of a forwards-based game. Hooper and Pocock cannot coexist. It cannot continue going forward. And I think Checker's got to be brave and he's got to just dump his captain because his captain is not Pocock. Pocock will win you a World Cup. And that's not that's that's not I don't think it's even a hot take. I think having Pocock in your t- in your team make gives you a chance to win a World Cup. He's that influential. I think having Israel Folau in your team also gives you a chance to win a World Cup. I honestly think that this Australian side is best served playing they don't have to keep playing the pragmatic way they did against Ireland. I think that was just a tactical masterpiece. They can they can go back to playing good attacking rugby as well but they now have this up their sleeves and I think it all works when you have Pocock on the field but I think it's only working against the Irish right now because the Irish do not have the same pack as South Africa, Argentina and New Zealand but we'll see what happens I don't think that Czech is going to be brave enough to get rid of Michael Hooper Uh, Hooper is one of those players who he's consistent and he also doesn't get injured Uh, they are very very difficult things to overcome, especially when I play against into a side. He hasn't really done anything wrong per se. He doesn't get in trouble either. But I think he needs to he needs to make the brave decision. Going into this next this this weekend's game, I'm going to I, I would love to back Ireland to get back into it because they're actually bringing Johnny Sexton and that back into lineup, bringing more of the veteran players. But you know what? I, I don't know if anyone else saw what I saw on that right field. What I saw was almost a tactical maturity from Australia, and I think that I think that they're going to come away with a win this weekend. I feel like I underestimated just how how because I, I, I've never seen an Australian team play like that in so long. I didn't think that they were capable of doing it. I think that the that they now have that if if, if they can continue, it's only been one game. I need to be clear about this. It's only one game. If they can continue to be a tactically uh, disciplined side and play to the strengths of their opponents. So not not trying to impose their will on the game always, but when you realize that you might not be able to do that, changing to a pragmatic game and using what strengths you have, a great fullback who can counterattack, 
the best number seven on the planet who can just completely slow down opposition ball, steal your ball, get you counter-attack ball. I think this Australian team can go far if they continue to work on that. And I think they're going to do that this weekend. I think they're going to beat Ireland. I think it's going to be an arm wrestle, though. I think it's going to be a three-point game. And so when I say it's, I'm going to hedge my bets and say it could easily go the same the other way for Ireland. I'm not underestimating Ireland. I think they can rebound for sure. I just think that what I saw, plus the home ground advantage, Australia generally plays well at home like most teams. So sorry, Ireland. Uh, backed you last week. You let me down. And Australia have just shown that they they there's a there's a tactical maturity about them, and I think going forward that's that's gonna it's gonna get them home. All right, on to the third game. So, firstly, I'm gonna start by mentioning a milestone. Congratulations, uh, Tendai Beast Mtuoera. You are. I, one of my favorite players is getting his 100th test cap. He's the first African player to um, get 100 test caps for the Springboks, and it's well-deserved. The guy is simply an absolute professional. He's been in. He's not been in and out. He's been consistent. He's been uninjured for most of his career with the Springboks and the Sharks, and he gives it his all every single time he's on the field. So congratulations to Beast, one of my favorite players of all time, and... You deserve it, man. You really deserve it. I remember your debut when I when I was 19 years old watching the British and Irish Lions. Everyone talks about you ending Phil Vickery's career. You kind of did, which and it was done in such fantastic fashion. It's upsetting for poor Phil Vickery, a great player for England for so many years. But it was the the coming of another great player, New Beast, and you deserved the hundred caps. You've been so good to the Springbok side. Well done, man. So happy for you. All right, let's talk about that game that we saw. That was the most exciting game of the weekend, and it wasn't even close. From tactical arm wrestle with Ireland and Australia to just flat-out entertainment, South Africa versus England. And after the first 20 minutes, you would have thought it was going to look something like the uh, France All Blacks game because South Africa were just completely sloppy and England were very clinical. They... The Springboks back line was very jumpy at first. The forward pack was a bit loose. And England didn't look like that at all. England were much more precise. They found the gaps very quickly. And they just were a better team for the first 20 minutes. And it actually got a bit worrying for myself. You know, I was sitting in a pub with an Englishman. And it got quite frightening to watch 24 points get piled on so quickly. But it's all very changed very quickly. And it was really exciting to see, as a South African fan, how going 24-3 down, it didn't seem to affect the players. There was no hands on hips, no one was looking down, and all of a sudden you got the sense of this, all right, well, we need to just get to work. And it was great because it's a very young side. The back three, uh, Willie LaRue was the only one with cap. I think the two wingers, yeah, the two wingers were both debutants. So it was a very inexperienced Springbok side but it was loaded with talent and you could just see it going one or two ways you could see them going down 24-3 to a much more experienced side and as stated in the previous podcast England were this fantastic they've been this fantastic team for two years they've just been they've hit a bit of a stutter at the moment and we're not sure if they're going to get out of it but they were very precise and to the point and clean uh, at the in the first 20 minutes and so it just looked like it all the wheels could fall off and this young south african side could really get off on the wrong foot but then all of a sudden south africa's pack which is very physically dominant 
suddenly gets in the ascendancy and all of a sudden Faf de Klerk's getting fantastic ball and all of a sudden you know after 20 minutes England's you know 24-3 up after 40 minutes South Africa goes into the break in front and it all happened so quickly and it was very very entertaining I am going to make a hot take here when I say this that game was not as close as the scoreboard suggested England were great in that 20 minutes as I've said probably two or three times now I don't think they could stand with South Africa for the following 60 that came after it. I think that 21-point buffer that they put up was the defining factor in the fact that the scores were close. Because after that, England maybe had 5-10 minutes of good play that wasn't being when they weren't being crushed by South Africa. South Africa's forward pack really needs props from that really needs to be given props from that game. Because without that dominant performance, I don't think the back line would have performed as well as it did. Singing Causey score two tries was fantastic. Uh, but none of I don't think it would have happened as well because that forward pack was just rolling England over and over and over. And Faf de Klerk has been said on many, many, many times across the last week is that he was just getting quick ball absolute quick ball England were off their feet after 50 minutes and it wasn't just altitude it was just because his forwards kept giving him more ball more ball and I think it, you will see by the fact that um, Robshaw has been dropped this week and it's because that England pack needs more physicality to be able to keep up with the South African pack and it's all to do with the fact that they need to stop Faf de Klerk getting ball and in sort of a way of previewing this week's game, that's going to be crucial to England's game plan because they're playing at altitude again, so they're going to fatigue at the later portions of the game. And so the only way you're going to be able to stop South Africa from getting on a roll is you're going to have to find a way to slow the ball because not only did South Africa win that game, they won it with confidence. As I said, the three points did not symbolize how dominant South Africa were for 60 minutes in that game. And I think England could really be in trouble in this game. I think that Eddie Jones will, you know, fix a few things, and I think that I think that they'll compete. But I really think South Africa are going to win this one by ten to fifteen points. I think that that back line with Willie Larue and Corsi, Lukanyam, they all took massive, massive amounts of confidence from what they were able to do to England after that first twenty minutes, and they're not going to be as jumpy or nervous this time either on defense. There was one of the one of the biggest things you can notice. You went back and watched that game that first 20 minutes. That back line of the box was just it was unorganized and there was a bit of nerves and they were jumping jumping out too quickly in defense and leaving their flanks exposed. And I don't think it's gonna happen in this game. I really think South Africa is going to come through and win this one by 10 to 15 points. Sorry England, I just can't see you improve that much and I think that as stated before we need to appreciate what South Africa did to be 24-3 down, then go into halftime in front in that game was an incredible turnaround. And I think that the confidence that this team has gained, as well as being at home and at altitude, all these factors are going to, it's going to make it really, really tough on England. And I just don't think they're going to get home on this one, I'm afraid. So South Africa, 10 or 15 points and congratulations beast on that 100 test caps, buddy. All right, thank you for listening to episode two of the Rugby Base podcast. Join me next week.